You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. And well, the first thing I heard was... And, and I just never heard that sound before. My ears had never heard anything like that before. I couldn't believe it was a guitar doing that. And it changed my entire way of looking at guitar. Because before that, I was just um, like hyperactive kind of player. You know, I was Angus Young on excessive amounts of crack. And <laughs> so then I heard this. I was like, wow, wait a minute. You know, there's a whole lot this guitar can do. There's so many ways you can twist up the string to make it say so many other things. And he showed me eruption. I was like, oh my God. So I had to learn it. So just by ear. Learned it. And then I flipped the reels and learned it backwards. Like, I want to know this forwards and backwards. So, and just, and just learned it the other way. And just did the whole song and learned it back so I could play it forwards and backwards. You're the first and, person to ever like say, I want to learn something forwards and backwards, literally. <laughs> right. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of 2020. I'm Siobhan Cronin here as always with Corey Peza and Benny Goodman. How's it going, guys? Good. The, the coffee woke <laughs> me up a little bit and, and our guest this week woke me up a lot more. <laughs> yeah, so this week, yes, it, indeed. We were we were all like, we need more coffee, but we had Ron, a.k.a. Bumblefoot Thal of uh, Sons of Apollo, of a million solo records, a teacher, philosopher, creator of his own hot sauce line. Definitely an energizing morning. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. To spend with him. A master class of like ridiculousness where like literally he pulls out a guitar and there's been some people who pull out guitars, but like he literally got guitarded with us and I loved it. Well, you can tell he just loves the instrument. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you know, music, uh, like, you know, scientific theory, you know, all, all, he's he's not limited. <laughs> that's for sure. So, uh, you know, strap in, open up your brain and get ready to be bumble <laughs> <laughs> 2020-d.com like subscribe. and subscribe tune in now ladies and gentlemen my name is Benny Goodman and I'm here with my cohorts but we're not even going to bother with them because we're here with one of the greatest guitar players in the world that does more things I swear to god I have a, I have a computer screen that's like this big just filled with he has his own hot sauce. He's yeah. done videos with maybe 7,000 of my favorite players in every single band known to man. He's in Sons of Apollo, which I guess is, a, according to the world, one of the biggest progressive bands. He played in Asia. He moonlit in the band. Like He was at Guns N' Roses for a while. He has 74 solo records, including <laughs> this one I got signed in 2007, which has been on my wall. Ladies and gentlemen, Ron Thal, Bubblefoot. How are Woo! you, man? What an epic introduction. And you say that you're tired this morning. I'm impressed. Yeah. <laughs> it's a facade. Oh, I'm good. Yeah. I was up at seven, taking care of business and at the studio now, just taking care of mixes. And yes. And here we are to distract you from all the important work you have to do. <laughs> so we apologize. Yeah. Well, in, in, oh, no, in watching is... your videos and, and reading about you, not to interrupt, I feel like no amount of work that I do in my life can help me catch up to what you've accomplished. <laughs> 
in the years of your career. It's amazing the amount of music you've put out and the number of people you've played with and the fact that you do the mixing and producing and engineering side of it too in a lot of ways. That's that's really, really impressive. So hats off to you. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you very much. Hold on, let me let me just read this here. Voted number one in 100 greatest hard rock metal guitarists. Voted 2005 guitarist of the year. Voted number four in the 20 greatest shred guitars of all time. Marty Friedman and Nuno would be angry if you called them shred guitar players. Listed in the 16 best rock guitars in the world right now, as opposed to then. Voted best guitars of 2017. Listed in the 11 best prog guitars, not just normal guitars, prog guitars. And then voted 2020 readers poll top 10 best guitars. Are you tired? No, no, I'm feeling good. You left out the most important, though. Featured What's guitarist that? on chapter one of Lost Symphony. <laughs> oh, that too. <laughs> Which is how we are all connected for anyone that's just tuning in. Ollie Herbert. So. He's the Kevin Bacon of all of this. Yes. Six degrees of Ollie. <laughs> yeah. We could make that a show. We Yeah, we definitely should. Um So so maybe you can. And how would you like us to refer to you? Is it would you want to do Ron or Bumblefoot? <laughs> for for oh, the episode, whatever you want, I get called all okay. kinds. Okay, of- okay, I don't know if there's like a different persona, but um, anyway, for for anyone that may not be familiar with you, which I don't see as being possible, but can you walk us a little bit through um, kind of your early years getting into music, where you came from, how you grew up, what influenced you, just so we get an idea for the person behind the music a little bit. Ah, uh, let's see. I moved from Brooklyn to Staten Island. Staten Island. <laughs> Got to say it right. Staten Island. New uh, Oh yeah, New Yorker. And that was 1975. And I moved to this neighborhood where all these kids my age, and we all had these older brothers and sisters, just a few years older. And they were just at the age where everybody, they were buying albums and and parents. uh, Every time I would go over any of my friends' houses on this new block that I just moved on to, uh, there would just be records laying everywhere, just vinyl. And that was my introduction to music. I would just see this big square of art on the floor. I'm like, what is this? And it'd be some Elton John album with weird characters and stuff. Wow, what is that? Or whatever it was. So we would always just go up to the room, the bedroom where there was always a little turntable and we'd just sit on the bed, drop the needle and just stare at the speakers and just listen. And Beatles and and all kinds of stuff. there, there, there was this one album I looked at, and it had this weird creatures. They looked like spacemen or monsters. I don't know what they were. They had painted faces. I'm like, what is this? And, and we put it on, and you hear this crowd start to cheer. And you hear Paul Stanley, how do y'all feel? And it was Kiss Alive, and it had just come out. And as soon as I heard that, that did it. Immediately, it was like, you know, before that, I wanted to be a fireman and a this and a that and an astronaut and everything a little kid wants to be. But as soon as I heard that album, I don't know what subliminal messages they stuck in there because this happened to a lot of people. You hear that album and suddenly it's like, that's what I want to do. And at five years old, turning six, I was like, okay, I know what I want to do in my life. Now to get started. That's and amazing. Got, You're not the first person to say that, not to interrupt you. We've had multiple <laughs> guests on the show that have I have to ask him, though. This is so important because they, there's is. a 45-minute mashup of Paul Stanley-isms online. Have you heard this? Where it's just like, Boston, we love you, and it's hotter <laughs> than hell in here. Have you ever listened to Paul Stanley just continue, like take out all the Kiss music, all Black Dime, all, shit, all gone, and just Paul Stanley? Have you, have you just devoted your life to that at some point? 
I have. Uh, <laughs> yes, absolutely. I heard that. Best frontman or I greatest like frontman? The David Lee Roth one, too. Did you hear that one with all the different Rothisms? It just depends on what year, because if you go back to the 70s, it's about banging your girlfriend. But if you go back to like 2015, it's his dogs running through the field. So it depends on what <laughs> David Lee Roth era of you're talking about a banter. 70s. <laughs> so what, what was it about challenge? <laughs> I just wanted to ask, as someone who didn't really grow up listening to Kiss, obviously I was familiar with who they were at the time as, as a kid, but... Um, what was it about the music that caught you? Was it the vocals? Was it the guitars? Like, I'm just curious what it is that hit so many people to inspire them that strongly to want to do that. It was a combination of things. It was the personas. They were such interesting personas, and that appealed to a young kid because they were like superheroes in a way. So there was that. Uh, the music was uh, easily digestible. It, Although at that time, there were a lot of Yes albums that I listened to at that age, too, which I loved, like hearing Fragile for the first time as a kid. Uh, so maybe it's not even that. But it's hilarious because we just talked to Doug Pinnock and he said the same thing, Kiss. And then he said he heard Chris Squire and it changed his idea about being able to groove and odd time signatures. And it like opened that was like the acid for him. Like Kiss was the, the, the weed, the, the, the opening up drug. And then Yes was just like, oh, wow, this is the Matrix. Uh-huh. Totally, totally. So it was a lot of that. Like when you grew up in the 70s, uh, you were just constantly, every week, there would be something incredible that is released. And there was no way to avoid loving music, no matter what it was. Every kind of music. It was at its pinnacle. It was at its best. It was, you know, whether it was, it was the funk, whether it was the punk, whether it was... You know, the classic rock stuff, uh, everything, even the disco. You know, young me never would have thought old me would be defending disco because at that time it was rock versus disco and it was the big war. Uh, but it was amazing. Everything was incredible that you heard that, that came out. It was the best of the best uh, in every way. So, yeah, I listened to Tons of everything from Blondie to Billy Joel in Boston to The Who to Led Zeppelin to AC to Priest to Pink Floyd to Queen. And just imagine, hey, new album from Queen is out. And you hear this amazing stuff that's for the first time. Oh, Pink Floyd is putting out this concept album called The Wall. And I remember the commercials for it. And I would just hear the, oh, no, you're just. And I would be wondering how the rest of the song went. And I would try and make it up in my head. I would hear it go from the, you know, F, 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 E, 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 D, C. And then it would like fade off. I'd be like, where does it go from there? So I eventually heard it. Uh, but it was just such incredible stuff. So no matter what, you were going to be inspired and influenced by music so much that you felt like you had to pay it back to the world, like what the world just gave you. Uh, yeah, so for a lot of young little kids, it was Kiss because they were the superheroes. They were the monsters. They were those things. And the music was pretty cool. It was. It, it was good rock and roll. You had Ace who had that, you know, from a guitarist standpoint, just that slow, sleazy kind of feel to it. Uh, Paul Stanley, the riffs were very stonesy, which you could even go farther back and say it was, you know, 50s inspired uh 
And there was so many different personas in the music as well, so many identities. You had Paul Stanley that was kind of soulful. And then you had Gene that's just like all, you know, just testosterone. Uh, sounds like some kind of pasta. You know. <laughs> hey, mom, make me some testosterone. We're going to go work out. Yeah. Gene so, Simmons, like, I've already trademarked that, Ron, so please yeah. send me my money. Okay. So, <laughs> Gene Simmons. Immediately. What was the, uh, the point that, you know, that connection you had with music and, and the fandom uh, turned into you picking up an instrument? It was immediate. As soon as I heard Kiss Alive, it was almost like it was mapped out in my head. And I started doing it. I started writing songs I did not know what to write about. I was five. So my interests at the time, which haven't really strayed very much, was uh, cosmology and astronomy and the planets and the solar system and the universe and all those things. Uh, and so when did you start Queen? Because <laughs> hmm? I said, when did you start Queen? Because that's like everything Brian May's ever done. Isn't he like a, an oh, astro, like a, oh, a yeah, rocket yeah. scientist, astro, right? Yeah. Astrophysicist. That's like every, yeah, astrophysicist. Like, like the cosmos rocks. Like it's like a little, I'm listening to like Brian May's pedigree come out of your mouth, which is awesome because like that's everything I like too. Yeah. Love that stuff. It's, it's just so fascinating. It's, it's as big as you can get as far as existence. Uh, so... I would write songs about the planets. And my first band was called The Solar System. And the first song And at what age was this that you started uh, your first band? Five going on six. How the hell does that work? (laughs) I was maybe jumping around singing Barney songs at that point. I was putting my tongue in in light sockets. Like what, at five? (laughs) It was... And the thing is, I had nothing really to draw from. It's, It's like when you have music and you hear music, everything that touches you in some way becomes a brick in who you are, in the structure that you are. Like a brick in the wall? Kind of, yeah. Similar. Only, no. And (laughs) (laughs) Nice. Nice. (laughs) Tear this wall down! So so what happens is eventually, after you've had a thousand things build you musically, you can make any combination of those things, like a little bit of David Bowie and Stevie Wonder and Dead Kennedys all come out in some riff that you come up with. For me, I didn't have those bricks yet. So all I had were the few things that I heard up to five years of age, six years of age. So the first song I wrote was a ripoff of Sweet Fox on the Run that had been currently on the radio and I heard it. So I stole the melody and I just changed the words to Jupiter is nice. (laughs) So it was just, let me see if I can get some sound on this thing. What an amazing memory. I would have no memory of that. (laughs) Do you notice how everybody like is a savant on our show? Like that's the other thing I thought was very interesting, Ron, was because you didn't say like you didn't go da 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 you're like F F F G. Like I don't even know what key I'm in anyway. Like nevertheless with the weird gent tunings now. You're like, oh yeah, he did an F sharp there. Uh, that was I like the minor third. There is a reason I said that. Because if I sing the melody, I don't want suddenly like some algorithm to say, hey, you stole the song and you're not allowed to use it. We're shutting down your video. <laughs> so I said, F, 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 You're beating the algorithm. But wait a minute, hasn't that happened to you? I think I remember you saying one time that he got you, didn't you get shut down on Instagram because you posted Sons of Apollo and they didn't realize that you had the copyright to your own song or something? Well, that's the thing is, is as far as sound recording, when you're dealing with a record label, and we're under the Sony umbrella, big umbrella. So 
you can have the PA form as the songwriter and the SR form is going to go to the record label, the sound recording. So they own the sound recording. Even if it's your song, the recording of it is theirs. And if you use that recording, you are breaking the law, breaking the law. So oh, that was so corny. Uh, <laughs> we need to go to Jupiter so we can We're rock up there here. with, with, with no copyrights. And, and I just had to I can't do that because the algorithm is going to pick it up and say, oh, you know, you might well, get this video shut down because I said breaking the law like that twice. And then went, you. So <laughs> yeah, that's, well, that's why you got to sing Jupiter rocks instead of sweet. And then they won't know. Right. So tell us about oh. the, the Jupiter song. So yeah, it's it's you know it's just using the melody. Oh, so there's a follow to it. Which is you know fox on the. So it's just Jupiter is nice. Take my advice. I stayed on the ice. Jupiter is nice. And I started with the chorus, just like, you know, she loves you, yeah, yeah. See, I don't want to sing it. It's a better song than I've ever written. (laughs) So anyway, uh, yeah, so did that. And then it went to the actual first verse. Many clouds of gases, poisonous they are. So that was one of the first songs. We had some other ones. I remember there was one called Smoke in Space. When I put a band together, which was my brother on drums and my neighbor John on guitar, and he sang mostly, and and uh, everything we wrote was sort of Kiss inspired because that's what we were into. So we had one song that sounded like like Firehouse in Reverse. It was like this drudgy, just like. Down, 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 down. It sounds like. Up all night, sleep all day. <laughs> so this, this is when you were five, six years old. This is happening. And were you singing or were you playing? Were you at the time? Were you singing mostly, or had you picked up a guitar yet, or what? Where were oh, you at with that? Way too shy to sing. So I would write and I would sing when no one's around, just kind of whispering into my hand. But if there are any human beings around, I would immediately just crawl up into like a little potato bug circle and just flick away. Uh, so, yeah, but I figured out how to multi-track record, which is you take a cassette recorder, you put it in the corner of the room. We have a little kid-sized nylon string guitars and we go up to it and we play our guitars. So John's doing this and I'm doing my, my riff. 
And my brother had a Bugs Bunny drum set he got from Sears. I still remember it. It had a picture of Bugs holding a carrot like a cigar saying, what's up, Doc? And, uh, and he was about 10 feet back. And he was playing distance, uh, you know, for levels. And then we had, boom, we had our music on a cassette. Then we would have the cassette recorder and we'd take another one, put it exactly about two inches away, no closer proximity effect gets too basic. So put it right there and press play on this one, press record on this one. And we go like, and this one starts playing the music and we start singing next to it. Now this one is capturing the music and are overdubbed by vocals. So now we have our vocals and the music on this one. And then from there, if you want to overdub more stuff or just make dupes, we press play on this one that now has the music and the vocals, our complete recording, and record it onto here. And sit And it's, you know, my mother's like, Ronald, dinner's ready. It's like, ah! Because now it's in the doom. So we have to start over. <laughs> in the recording. So, you know what this reminds so me of? This, the this trials and tribulations me, well, of recording as a five-year-old. Because during New, like Newton and Leibniz were concurrent to each other, and they both came up with infinitesimal calculus, except that Leibniz wasn't much of a Pope guy, and Newton was, so he got credit for it. I feel like Les Paul was doing all this multi-track recording while Ron was in his room grounded. And, like... He came to market with it first, but meanwhile, you figured it all out, dude. Like, you literally figured out your own multi-track recording autonomous from that. Like, that's pretty amazing, dude. Like, that's, at five, I didn't even know how to put the tape in. (laughs) Well, speaking of that, there wouldn't even be cassettes if not for that. Because a cassette is a multi-track tape. It's a four-track. And all side left and right, side two, left and right. And, yeah, and what I used to do is I used to take them apart and flip the reels and then everything would be backwards. So I would learn songs backwards that way. So But like you take I the first, tape out like the little tape and you'd unspool it and you'd you have mm-hmm, that dexterity? Yeah, I would record on a cassette something, uh like I wanted to learn eruption backwards. I was so you know, just Why? amazed the first time I heard <laughs> Why it. is the best <laughs> Because well at one point I was all right, I was about ten years old. 11. 10 years old, he's only eruption backwards. I hate you. This is like more than any tiger mom. (laughs) Siobhan's like, I didn't get beat till I was seven. (laughs) I started taking guitar lessons. I was learning all the academics and then eventually jazz and classical and all that stuff. And on my own, had the band writing, recording, doing everything. And I would also, you know, we would learn covers too. So I just really got into trying to learn as many songs as I could. So what I would do is I would do an album a day. I would put on an album and I would play along with it and try and just intuitively, like, where are they going next? Oh, they go to another verse, another chorus, and, and get to know the song and play along with songs that I never heard before or just never played before. So I would take an album and I would try and learn the whole album look at you she's never made an appearance what? ever well, she never makes look happy about it yeah no no but she came in she's never come in in like 105 episodes never walked into the room so i was like I'll, she'll make an appearance she felt inspired so, so yeah so i would take a different album like i remember uh blackout from scorpions just came out <laughs> and just try and learn the whole song as it goes. And then 
Uh, the next one was I Can't Live Without You. And just go through the whole album by the last song and barely remember the first, but try and do that. And I would try and learn albums. And then what I did, because you know, it gives you new writing ideas and, and new perspectives on how people approach songs and also how they play. So you get to know other players' style and, and approach. So I was doing a lot of that. And then what I started doing is to get an even different approach. I would have it on a cassette. I would unscrew the chassis. You flip the reels. And now side one, left and right, becomes side two, right and left. Right and left. In reverse, backwards. Everything's backwards. So I remember I did that with that Scorpions album. I learned everything backwards to hear where the chords would go when they're not working toward the result, but working away from it and see what melodies you find and things like that. And all their different results and different places that you feel like the music is, okay, here's the one, even if it's not the one, like, what does it make you feel? So how do you perceive the music? So I started doing that to a lot of things. And then when I was 12, I was, a, I was late to the game. And that was the first time I heard Eddie Van Halen was when I was 12, I was, it was 1982. And I remember I was at a band practice and some kid was there, he was like, do you tap? I was like, <laughs> like no, no, you, you know, it's like, what's tap? He's like, and here's my flat he ball me. shuffle, buffalo, buffalo, buffalo. Yeah. <laughs> so he showed me, you know, put your finger on the string. So I was going, like, no, the other one. And well, the first thing I heard was and, and I just never heard that sound before. My ears had never heard anything like that before. I couldn't believe it was a guitar doing that. And it changed my entire way of looking at guitar because before that, I was just um, like hyperactive kind of player. You know, I was Angus Young on excessive amounts of crack. And <laughs> so then I heard this, I was like, wow, wait a minute. You know, there's a whole lot this guitar can do. There's so many ways you can twist up the string to make it say so many other things. And he showed me eruption. I was like, oh my God. So I had to learn it. So just by ear. <laughs> learned it and then I flipped the reels and learned it backwards like I want to know this forwards and backwards so and just and just learned it the other way and just did the whole song and learned it back so I could play it forwards and backwards you're the first and person to ever like say I want to learn something forwards and backwards literally <laughs> Right. <laughs> I have a question for Siobhan and Corey. Sorry to interject. Did we just listen to somebody explain what it's like to be a savant? Because it sounds like, like, do you have synesthesia? Do you like feel prime numbers, Ron? Because I feel like, like, fi like the stuff that you're explaining. I mean, it's um, it makes sense if I told Corey in our thirties, dude, turn over your old tapes and like let's learn eruption backwards. And he's like, dude, I don't have enough beer for this. You're like barely 
12 and you're like well this is backwards this is the amazing intersection of the creative and the analytical though you know it's like i can understand that fascination with wanting to know the diagram yeah the mechanics of like how does this work and how does this make me feel and that's something that we've done in like violin and piano pedagogy is like learning stuff backwards or reversing the rhythms or like things like that to help you with memorization and like understanding of harmonic changes so i I can understand that inverse and that thing and all that stuff Yeah. yeah Yeah, I love all of that stuff. Siobhan's so, like, I learned Paganini's Fifth Caprice in A minor backwards in, at 322 BPM, so try no, that, Ron. No, I think it was enough torture to learn it forwards that I just didn't even bother. What was that one? Was that uh, Tchaikovsky? Oh. That's a Siobhan question. Oh, uh, yeah. That's the Tchaikovsky Violin Concerto, yeah. Uh, wait. That was another one that I wanted to learn. My grandma had a bunch of old 78 records, so I started just popping them on and trying to learn them all. Yeah, it's the last movement of Tchaikovsky Violin Concerto. It's really cool. Okay, at what point did you say, like, what was enough? Did you get to, like, Hungarian Rhapsody by Franz Liszt and say, I can't do that? Come on, get your violin, Siobhan. Siobhan, that would be impressive, though. It would. He's schooling me in this, so I'm not going to embarrass myself. If only tapping existed on violin, that's the one thing that we can't do. Yeah, we can do it the hard way. Right. Then back to the same uh, the public domain right so we're not going to be demonetized well yeah. do you have a, do you have a no. photographic memory for this stuff ron because is it one of those things where you tell people shut up and you listen to the tape back in your head and you're like okay it's it, it it's it's this cadence all right whoa, 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 whoa. and then you have to because it sounds to me like you're accessing a part of your brain you're like okay and you could see your mind going back to the vinyl records or whatever and you're pulling it out i i, I can't even remember acdc and they only wrote three songs here's the thing you know, all particles never disappear. Everything is always there. Uh, you know, whether it's a tangible particle, a group of them, or something we don't quite see, and just waves in our heads or something like that, or, or just being stored in, in little bits of brain. They're always there. This cosmic dust that is there has been there for 
you know, tens of billions and will continue to be there. So all you got to do is just grab them, just access them. Say, <laughs> this one. But hold on. But wait a minute. What if you're like, do you have to be a CERN super collider? And then how do you find the neutrinos, Bumblefoot? How do you find well, the neutrinos? Have you you have to go faster than the speed of light and then you slow down time. That's the answer. So, you know, have you, you have to go faster. Cinnamon, the cinnamon neutrinos are delicious. Every morning neutrinos. I found a glue on in them. But that is actually a good question is like when you're because you just played uh, stuff that, that you wrote when you were five and you seem to be pretty on top of it. Is that something you you revisit often? Is that how it's so fresh or are you pulling that? Where, how are you visualizing that that music? It's because I'm slowly becoming senile and I only remember things from when I was four and five years old. And I can't remember like I can't remember any Sons of Apollo songs, but I can remember that. I can remember Jupiter is nice. Right. <laughs> But you can remember Tchaikovsky Violin Concerto, which even me right now, having played it extensively in college, probably could like, not play as you're much like of the it old as man, you could. You're like the old man with Alzheimer's that can't speak and is aphasic, but can play like perfect Gershwin. Oh, yeah. I haven't thought of that song in years. Uh, I just pulled it out of my butt. Uh, but even that, you know what? My dad, he had Alzheimer's. And one of the I'm last things. That. I said, yeah, it was definitely, it was quick. Uh, he didn't suffer. But. You're still in there. I think it's just the output isn't showing because the last thing I said to him, because every time I would leave when I would go to visit him, uh, you know, I wouldn't say goodbye. I wouldn't say, I'd say, you know, I'll be right back. I'm just going to run and do something. And yeah. And so, so I told the last words I said to him were, uh, I'm going to go home and take a nice big dump. <laughs> and, and he's, you know, he's not moving. He's just like a statue. And sometimes I just go, <laughs> it's a smile on his face. I know that in his head, he, you know, he's there and he gets it and he hasn't lost his mind. It's just not coming out. And he's laughing. I know that that was him laughing inside. Uh, it's just not showing on the outside. So, yeah. No, the, the brain is an amazing thing. It's, it's wild how it memory is. is stored and accessing it. That's actually how I, Cindy, my fiance and I like became attracted to each other. It's like, so you took abnormal psych in college? She's like, yeah, dude. Like, what if you cut both hemispheres across? Like, we we loved all that strange stuff. And actually, if you with Lost Symphony, I named some songs like Kotar Delusion because I was like, I hope these people look up what that actually is. Because like, there's a lot of like, I find the brain the most fascinating thing uh, of all, especially when you when you read like guys like you, you know, starting at five or Mozart wrote songs that I can't even comprehend by the time they're five. And like, how do you explain that? And there's some people that just understand things do you feel like you're actually in tune with the rhythm of everything that's going on because i feel like someone that's as musical as you like it just seems like it comes to you like magnetically almost oh i don't know i guess (laughs) (laughs) i guess you don't have much to compare it to because it's just how you experience it no but that's that's an interesting question though and just to reference a very famous violinist her name was Ida Hendel she died like a couple years ago but like a very iconic female violinist um I met her living in Miami and she told me and she was you know late 80s at the time but I asked her like how did you get because she was like savant level when she was four or five like playing stuff her intonation was always perfect and that usually takes a long time to develop and she she said oh yes I was a violinist in a past life and she was just like Th- this was her conviction. It. Yeah, she was 100% serious about it. She's like, I played before. Like, she was four years old and just, like, knew how to play. And I always wondered about that. I'm like, wow, that's a that's a wild 
experience. Like, I wonder what that's like to just be born into the world and have that, you know, feel like you have that facility immediately. But- Maybe. Here's a thought now, because if we are just reassembling existing particles uh, to form a new person, do particles have memory? Do they recognize each other? Do they? Hmm. It's an interesting thought. I mean, I don't know what my opinion is one way or the other, but I mean, she said say that neurons that fire together wire together. So maybe those neurons stay together like true romance past death. Those synapses we've created. Neurons that play together stay together. No, and neurons that, uh, that, that fire together, <laughs> wire together. Yeah. Well, say, here we go. <laughs> oh, what if when similar particles become neurons again and they're like, hey, remember me from 8,000 years ago, that dude that hunted the buffalo? Can that, is it possible? Well, here's the I, thing. Anything is possible because you can't prove that it's possible or impossible. You have to consider that it can be both. If you can't prove that it's impossible and you can't prove it's possible, you have to consider that it could be either. Well, it's like the concept of long-term potentiation, which is basically the idea of voltage-gated channels where you can create certain amounts of energy that goes in your brain. So I can actually make the Beatles record go with sadness by using long-term potentiation the way that your brain works and you actually develop electrical channels and build your own wires. So who's to say that that isn't somehow being uploaded to the cloud? Like Apple has my brain somewhere. Yes, and if if and let's tie in other things here. If we were created in our creator's image, that means that we create in our image. Because you know, if the creator, let's just go there. If if regardless of whether you believe that or not, you know, just conceptually, if a creator creates something in his image that is basically a mini me, okay, then that thing is gonna when it creates it will do the same and create in its own image. So could it be that everything that we create is just some sort of, you know, it's in our own image, whether we realize it, realize it or not. Like, let's say when we make the web, is it because we actually have a web of consciousness that we haven't mapped out and said, oh, this is a definite thing, but we're just part of it. So it's there and we're aware of it. You've given me the greatest double entendre ever because that's a mode you're you're the infinite modes of the one true thing that's that's like uh spinoza he would say that there is one true thing which is god and that we are all just the modes of the one true thing that is god so we are just enacting what is the true thing that is god so it's almost like is life predetermined or not that's where it comes down to but we you're talking about modes is what we are based on the one thing that is god so not not dorian or phrygian but the modes of the one true thing that is. Yeah. So we're yeah. like the one, one, three, five of the five chord under the whole key umbrella of whatever that key is. That made more sense than everything else I've been listening to. <laughs> I don't know. Well, we've come back full circle to music. And so my, my next question for you is not to, to go backwards, but I'm curious about you. You mentioned that you started taking uh, music lessons or guitar lessons. And I'd like to hear about because it seems like you were very self-motivated and self-taught in a lot of ways early on, right? So what were your music lessons like? What, what type of things were you studying? And how did, you, how did it make you feel about what you wanted to learn in music? I'm just curious as someone that went to school and did the whole formal training thing. Mel Bay, book one, blue cover, E string. So remember the exercises. Thank you. 
in the E and the B string and learning three four called the Merry Men. I'm having a blast of nostalgia. Then, <laughs> then, so I went through all the you know the normal academic stuff. Oh, I remember trying to play an F chord like this because I couldn't flatten this down and get these rounded. And my teacher was like, nope, you have to learn how to do it like this. I remember just like every guitar teacher has heard from their students, I played it perfectly at home, I swear. And yeah, so I would go in and you know I would practice my butt off and then I would go and screw it up in front of my teacher and be like, I swear to this, I was able to play it. And when I'm teaching that, my students do that and it happens, I always tell them, I was like, look, I know that however you're playing it, you're twice as good when I'm not watching. So it's, I get it, been there. Uh, so yeah, I went through all of that stuff. And then uh, after about, I don't know how many years of uh, just, you know, formal academic studies, I started branching off in, into jazz, had this phenomenal, real legit dude uh, named Pete Prisco. And he turned me on to like Charlie Christian. That's my boy, Charlie. He played with me for a long time. Benny Goodman. That phrasing, the swing he had. kind of stuff and in school uh, I was in a guitar class in high school and I already knew a lot of the stuff so the teacher would must just, have loved you uh, the teacher would just give me classical pieces and say learn this one and whatever it was and now we just you know whoops or What did you find more uh, uh, tough to learn? Something like Andre Segovia or Tchaikovsky? Or was it like a different kind of thing to master for you? Oh, same, same, there- but different. Uh, you know, it's, it's all just learn it, practice it, hear it. Uh, that's it. You have to hear so it's it. It's a linear thing for you. Uh, it's very internal. One thing about playing is, you know, the hands only do what your brain tells them to. So you, when I would practice, I wouldn't necessarily practice the hands so much. I would practice the brain. I would, I would visualize the practicing. I would visualize, I would, I would get to know the song internally. I would get, you got to hear it in your head and then just translate it to the musical language through whatever your mouthpiece is. Yeah, so, that makes a lot of sense. It's like understanding the theory, which helps with the memory, too. If you know kind of intuitively or from memory what chord it's supposed to go to, your hand will kind of fall in the right 
scale or shape, you know, it, it's similar with violin, at least in my opinion. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. I think any instrument, it's like that. Uh, the instrument is just, I guess music is the language and you're, yeah, you can make a million comparisons, mm-hmm. but it's, you want to be able to know the song in your head, hear it in your head. We can all hear a song in our head. That's how we recognize a song. Uh, we just match it up to the one in, in our whole collection in our head. So you hear something in your, your head, you could probably hum it. You know? And you know, oh, Beatle, you know. And you just know whatever it is. Um, if you know how the song goes and you know how to speak the language, then you can easily translate the song into your language. So whatever it is, uh, if you hear the song in your head, you're picturing it almost like a painting or watching a movie or something like that. And then you want to tell somebody about that movie. So you color it up however you can, or, you know, if you're with a band and you're playing the same way and you're your well, let me part. ask you this, because you just said something very important. That's one of my favorite quotes is from Frank Zappa that, you know, um, the best you could ever hope for is that you can explain the idea in your head and that you actually get the band or whatever to, to make it sound even close to what it actually sounded like. That's a terrible paraphrasing, but that, you know, it was very hard to get the music out of their head. And the thing is with you, and I always find this the most liberating thing is being able to hear it in your head and then having no loss of translation between your mind mm-hmm. and your hands. Are you able to do that like a Frank Zappa where you can get a whole band to, to play what you're actually hearing? Or do you find that, because he seemed to find that very hard, that no matter what, like he was always frustrated with people, whereas you seem to be able to very well explain yourself eloquently. Probably if I did music as wacky as his, I would have a hard time too. Explain, like, how the hell do you explain that stuff to someone? You know? All right, Neurosis. It, you know, make it sound like Genghis Khan is getting pelted with oranges. Uh, you know. The giraffe is filled with whipped cream. Go! So, yeah, for me, it's easier. It's like, you know, just give it this attitude. Give it this vibe. Make it feel like this. And jam it. And it's like, that's it. Or just say, you know what? Play it how you play it. I'm playing with you because of who you are, not because I'm looking for. Well, talk about that. You're in Sons of Apollo. You're in a band with literally every single member is the like like Highlander. You're the only one. You have Billy Sheehan, but you have two people in your band that play double necks. Okay, which is pretentious if it wasn't you guys, but it's you and Billy Sheehan. So it's you could probably play each other's necks. That's my fault because all the stuff I wrote. Is in two Again, in the same you can't song. be confined to one guitar. You need to. You need to. Not me. You need to. Mike Portno- Portnoy needs the octatoms because he actually uses them. Yeah. So that's the thing. Billy got stuck needing to use a double neck in two different tunings because the whacked out riffs I wrote where one is in drop B, the other is in drop D, and switching back and forth during a song Sherinian must love you for this because I feel like Derek Sherinian because I've met him a long time ago and that dude just like he he played first off he played with Virgil Donati and said to him 
like one of the first days. Play the craziest beats you can figure out. And that dude is literally the craziest, insane percussionist ever. What's it like working with him? Does he push you further? Because I feel like he might be like, that's not enough, Ron. Well, usually in the band, I come up with the stuff that sounds more like Pantera riffs or, or grunge stuff. So I'll come up with all of those, like, you know, the... All those kinds of things. Uh, and then Derek gets into either this almost like Bartok kind of piano stuff or just very UK kind of... Uh, the band UK, you know. That kind of stuff. I call the sus fours. That's wicked Sharinian right there. He loves that shit. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> We're both like super UK fans. Uh, I even learned like all the crazy like all the, the weird keyboard solos and stuff I would love learning other instruments you know uh, from Billy Joel, the horn solo. Uh, All right, now play both hands to Angry Young Man. Right now. Come on, you can do it, Angry Young Man. Oh, wait. Uh, Come on, do it. That's the best opening song for Billy Joel ever. It's like the fastest... Yeah, imagining on piano, yeah, sure. Uh, it literally is like if you're playing Metallica on piano, but with Billy Joel. That's like, would you say that's one of his more progressive songs? I feel like that's a little bit out of the box for Billy Joel. He's just accessing his mind. <laughs> it's in there somewhere. And actually, that's, that's a, a good point. You mentioned uh, how when you're hearing that music in your head and translating it like you're doing right now, how does that uh, work when it comes to writing and when it comes to Im- improvising music? What? <laughs> like how how do you, how, how do you visualize? I'm, mode, I'm sorry. Uh, oh. It's all good. No, how do you visualize music when you're actually composing it, when you're writing, and when you're improvising? Even every everything I just write in my head. Never, rarely ever is there like an instrument in my hand when I write. I, I sing it to myself if I like how it sounds as a listener. Then because a lot of times uh, it could be fun to play, but maybe not so fun for someone to listen to. So you got to start as a listener and work your way backwards. So wait, start, so start it's like all these guys, so all these new yeah. guitar players, I've heard they'll program it into a computer and then they'll learn it. You program it in your mind and then just play it back from your mind. So it's like an old fashioned way. It's like analog to digital. 
But that's interesting, though, because, yeah, you, you'll you come up with something different on your instrument than you would, like, intuitively or intellectually. It's the same with me. The difference between playing something on piano and playing something on violin will be different. Or if I hear something versus having an instrument in my hand. And so you started playing guitar solos on, on on violin, which I thought was really interesting. It's kind of the same concept. Yeah, well, I think that's the thing. Is That's that's the interesting thing about writing is I wanted to learn, and not that I've gotten much better, but the idea is to learn the language of other styles, of how other instrumentalists think, so that I can help improvise or, you know. Yeah, it's a whole other approach and uh, challenging. In fact, that's going back to Mr. Sherinian. The biggest challenge in Sons of Apollo would be Derek would write some crazy keyboard part and then would say, can you double that on guitar? It's like, no, but I'm gonna have to, aren't I? So, so it would like, there was one, one song that he came up with where I have to play like this, like, be like So I have to like, like do pull offs and then I have to, with this finger, I have to pluck this and go, and then run here, and hit that. So it's like, come out of practice. Or, you could do this finger. But all kinds of weird stuff that, that doubling his keyboard parts would get very tricky. Yeah, so that, that's actually kind of fun. Who that. usually messes up the first in that band? Like when you guys are jamming, is it always just, do you guys just look at Billy Sheehan and you're like, Billy, what, what the fuck? I'm not writing anybody out. <laughs> <laughs> has there been something that you've encountered that has been like especially challenging? It seems to me because you're so analytical and you obviously love music of all types that you can kind of figure out just about anything. Has there been an instance where you've really had a struggle <laughs> i suppose yes. replaying my own guitar solos that is the <laughs> toughest thing um because i just come up with weird stuff and then i go to play them and I'm, uh, if i don't write them down later on when it's time to to gig and i'm like i should have written this down i have no idea what i did here this makes no sense and i'm slowing <laughs> it down i'm listening to the raw tracks at like quarter speed like, wait, that's, that doesn't make sense. How, how did I do that? Um, like, uh, even just going through some of the, the Sons of Apollo stuff, uh, a lot of it goes by and it, it sounds pretty normal until you try and play it. So, like you have in uh, that one. So, in that song, like even in the, the pre-chorus, I'm sliding, there's the main riff. But uh, in the solo to that song, uh, it's starts off as kind of just like nice bluesy kind of, and then it jumps up. And it has to feel almost like a voice. So, so you don't want to just help. It's like, it's like pushes. So. And then it does this riff where I'm chirping uh, first harmonic, 
and finger picking. So it sounds like I'm playing in a different area than I am. And then bring it down, just like that. So just doing it up to speed. Ah, and then it goes to like a sharp force, uh, flat seven. Just a Lydian mix over. And then doing these like quick bursts. It's been groups of five. Bouncing around and just doing this whole little, you know, that's a lot of practice in this. Um, and then what was the other one that I had to show for him? Okay, here's an example of something that I had to double Derek. So the range of it, I have to do it on the fretless because I need that. Let's go. Jump down and see. Here's a little moment where I'm like, "What the f did I do?" Uh, resting the first finger on the this, and I'm going just no hitting them down while tapping and slowly sliding the tap down onto a harmonic in between. So it's like.
what song is this? Where, where can people check this out? That was Fall to Ascend. So that's Fall an example. Okay. Yeah. The grungy, I'm just thinking yeah, that the I, should have, I should have had my caffeine a lot earlier today. <laughs> yeah, that's an example. I know, the I barely feel ready to pick up the violin. So I wrote this part. Derek Arthur. And, and then a wacky solo with riffs that I can't play. Yeah. So here's what I've learned from this. We had asked you to do a, a playback of the song Singularity that you played. And I remember even when Ollie was alive, he was like, holy shit, because we all heard your solo and our song Singularity on chapter one. Yeah, and we were just like, wild. What the fuck is that? And then when we wrote to you, we were like, hey, can you play it? And you're like, I, I don't know. It's hard for me to relearn solos, which seems impossible. <laughs> but I realized that all I've extrapolated from your entire conversation is that you are the hardest person to imitate, even for yourself, of any human being alive <laughs> or dead. I don't know what the fuck I do. <laughs> you do well, we? That's, a, that's a beautiful, <laughs> that's a great that's way. A beautiful way to end part <laughs> one as we, as we wrap up our first hour here. Uh, my, I need to digest what just happened over the last several minutes. I have so, so many questions, so stay tuned dude, in part two for all those. That just literally <laughs> melted my mind. Ron, you have a lot of um, you have a lot of releases uh, that I'm looking at right here, and a lot of things for people to check out. Um, we're gonna put a lot of links in in the description itself. But is there anything right now that's kind of top of mind that you want people to know about and check out? Oh, I guess if they just hit the Bandcamp page and just check out some stuff on there. Yeah. Just How about the hot sauce, stuff. dude? The hot sauce, yeah. Yeah, that's a whole other... for the fat kids like me that want to have indigestion? Like, what's up with... What's, what makes your hot sauce different than Joe Perry's hot sauce? Uh, I don't want to compare. Uh, <laughs> both both are, are good. And, and there's enough room in the fridge for all our bottles. <laughs> but what yeah, makes your blend the spiciest? Well, think of it this way. Uh, you know, why do you want to listen to this band when you can listen to this band? Uh, you can listen to both. There is enough room for all of it. So each one has something the other doesn't as far as the amount of burn or the amount of flavor or what uh, the sauce complements well, things like that. So um, if you want to talk hot sauce, we can talk hot sauce. Let's get into that hot in part two. We'll, we'll open up yeah. in part two with the hot sauce. Check out. I'm pulling out Bumble, my Scoble scale. Bumblefoot.bandcamp.com. <laughs> uh, there's a ton of stuff up there. I'll have the link below in the description as well. Uh, and we got some some more craziness to dive into in part two with Bumblefoot right here on 2020. We'll see you next time. Thank you, as always, for checking out this episode of 2020. Please visit 2020-d.com. Like and subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss out on future episodes. This week's throwback clip is from episode number 94, featuring Matt Bashand of Shadows Fall and Living Wreckage. Check it out. And then he's like, <laughs> section 318. He just looked up in the back out of the wall of this arena to see a bunch of empty seats. And there's like two people sitting in, in the back. Because like I said, the doors had just opened. There's And they're patting everybody down. There's nobody in there. So I was like, Section 318, you guys are louder than the PA up there. And you can see these two guys looking at each other like, what? Um, uh, but I, I do believe my, my favorite one, however, was, uh, <laughs> well, let me tell you something. <laughs> Ha <laughs> ha
sing this song to all the guys out there. Because Eddie's Kiss is going to be sleeping with your girlfriend after the show. It's called Tears of Fire. <laughs> yeah, like that's, that's it was it was ridiculous. This is Krista Makes, guitarist and vocalist for Less Than Jake, and host of Krista Makes a Podcast, a songwriting podcast where every week I'm joined by an amazing guest to break down the writing, recording, and release of one iconic song from their career. In our giant evergreen back catalog of episodes, we've had rock legends such as Dee Snyder and Huey Lewis, punk rock favorites like Mark Hoppus, Fat Mike, and Brett Gurowitz, and up-and-coming artists of today, such as Liz Stokes of the Beths and Genesis Owusu. We've had guests from all genres and styles of music, and I guarantee that if you peruse our back catalog, you'll see several episodes that'll make you say, man, I gotta hear that. Whether you're a fan of music or a creator of music yourself, you'll take away a whole new appreciation for the songs you know and love. Chris Makes a Podcast is available for free on all the places you could possibly listen to podcasts. And new episodes come out every Monday.